Um, just a little bit in the scriptures today, not excessively, but uh, the one subject that uh, I'd like to cover today is that of baptism. We have our baptistry full and we're going to be baptizing today. And uh, it's a subject that really isn't spoken uh, a lot of uh, in olden times and uh, days gone past, wars were fought over the issue of baptism. Uh, entire towns were wiped out because of what a person believed about baptism. And of course, uh, of any doctrine in the Bible, it's one of the most sorely abused of all doctrines because people have just simply confused things. And, and the Bible is always clear. But there are some difficult verses uh, with this subject, and and I hope that we can cover them this morning and and uh, shed some light on some of the difficult verses. One of the most difficult verses is here in First Peter chapter three, and I figure we'll start at a hard point and and uh, try to make it clear. And before we delve into the Word of God, one of the rules of understanding your Bible, one of the things that you just need to to get a hold of is you don't go to the difficult passages to understand the simple. You go to the simple passages to understand the difficult. Because God planned on the average person being able to understand the words of this book. It was Mr. Wycliffe, I believe, in the 1300s, that told the church at that time as they were hunting him that he wanted the plowboy to understand more about the word of God than the average priest in the land of England at that time did. And uh, that wouldn't take much for most of the priests in the land of England didn't understand anything about their Bible. They just had memorized the church ritual in a language that wasn't even spoken. And so many times that's all religion is is just going through the rituals. And what we don't want ever to be at Open Door Bible Baptist Church is to reduce our relationship to God to a simple ritual that we follow through. Everything we do, baptism is full of meaning. And that's where we're really going today. But let's start in verse 21. It says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now, people take that first phrase that we read, the like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us, and they chop it up and they say, see there? Baptism is what saves us. And so they got this idea, and let me begin to give you a, a brief history lesson. I'll try not to be too boring. But we are now going to transport ourselves back in time to about 200 A.D. The Bible had been completed, believe it or not. There were entire copies of our Bible as we have it today. Maybe some of the books weren't in the same order. 
But every book that is in our Bible was in their Bible as early as 150 A.D. Uh, when you read in the commentaries that this is the oldest and best manuscripts, don't believe a word of that because the Bible was complete 300 years before the bold, oldest and best manuscripts came into existence. And what we hold in our hands right here in your King James Bible is as complete and honest a copy as you can have in the English language of God's Word. Every word that God gave the Apostle Paul is in this book. No additions. These are the words of God. That's why we don't argue about Bible versions here. We just use one. And there's a lot of reasons why we do that. And if you're curious, uh, we'll try to find the tapes. We spent 14 weeks explaining how we got our Bible on Thursday night. No way we can do that this morning. But this phrase says, the like, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. They read this. They said, you see, baptism saves us. Is that what that verse says? No. It says the like figure. Whereunto baptism doth even now save us. It is difficult, and we'll go to other passages and explain it. But human reasoning began to take over the Scripture. And they said, if baptism saves us at first, how many remember Emperor Constantine, 300 A.D.? In his day, he said, well, baptism is what saves me. Therefore, I should put baptism off as long as I can so that I can be saved for from as many of my sins as possible, so when I face God, I'll have the fewest amount of sins because I will just have been baptized just before I die. Now, you can't find that in the Bible anywhere. But you see what human reasoning does, it's like the pendulum on the clock. It goes from one extreme to the other. And the men began to think about that. Man, if that's good enough for the emperor, maybe that's good enough for me. And, and that was in vogue. And then we come up about 400 A.D. And people start saying, now wait a minute. If baptism is what saves us, and about 50% or 60% of all children die before they turn five years old, then all those children are lost. If baptism is what saves us, shouldn't we start baptizing as early as possible? But to give you an idea how long this argument went, it was still the year 1588. That's modern history, my friend. That's less than 40 years from the Mayflower. They were arguing in England as to whether babies should be immersed in the water or whether they can be sprinkled with water and still be counted as baptism. Now the reason why we're doing this is because I want you to understand that this all is the reasoning and the traditions of the human mind and has absolutely nothing to do with Scripture. The scripture says the like figure. 
Well, let's go back and look at what like figure it's talking about here. And this is what I mean by the Bible always explaining the Bible. Go back to verse 18. It says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Let's go down to verse 21 and pick up the last phrase here. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and we've read that verse. That is the like figure. That is the actual salvation of the soul is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He also talks about in verse 21, where in a few, that is eight souls, were saved by water, talking about Noah's ark. Now let me ask you a question. Did Noah's ark save mankind? Did it? When the flood was over, how many humans were left? Eight, the ones that were in the ark. You say, you really believe Noah's flood? Absolutely. Where do you think the Grand Canyon came from? How many of you like the mastodons walking on the ice and all of those old pictures? You know where that came from? Noah's flood. The ice age was the remnants in what happened after the flood. And you can talk to scientists who believe the Bible and believe the geological record that we have. They just don't believe all the crazy stuff. And it all fits into pieces perfectly because this book called the Bible is real. Amen? The ark and baptism are pictures or figures of the reality of your salvation, which is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. If you are saved today, you are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news. The good news is that Jesus died for my sins. He was buried And he rose again the third day, proving that he had victory over death, over sin, and over all. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved. But let me ask you a question. Did Noah and his family have to put some faith in the ark to go inside? Yeah, they did. They went inside that ark and God shut the door and it did something that it has never done in history before or after. The windows of heaven were opened. The fountains of the deep were opened. And this earth was forever changed. How many of you believe dinosaurs really existed? I do. They were really there. In fact, the Bible, I believe, talks about an apatosaurus, the largest of all the dinosaurs, when it speaks of behemoth in the book of Job. Uh, I believe that Job could see behemoth walking through the marshes and eating in the fens. Uh, Isn't it interesting, all of the stories that they make up? Now, how many of you are, uh, well, let's see, I've got to be careful about this. I'm talking about age. I'm in my mid-40s. Now, when I was in school, the most fierce of all dinosaurs 
was the Tyrannosaurus Rex. How many remember that? Three stories high, teeth three feet long. I mean, he was the most vicious of all of the dinosaurs. Remember that? And they made movies about the Tyrannosaurus Rex. In, in fact, uh, they just found out the, how many of you remember, I can't pronounce it right, Triacerops, the three-horned dude had the big horny head and three horns coming out. Uh, he didn't exist. Uh, that was actually a growth stage of a larger dinosaur. He was just a baby. But they make all this stuff up. They even know that they were green or kind of a grayish green. How do you figure that out from a fossil? I, I just love to ask some of them guys this stuff. Now we find out that Tyrannosaurus rex was not a fierce dinosaur. He was more like a vulture. He just came along and found dead things. It was the, uh, what, what do they call them, raptors or something like that. that. That was the vicious one. And he was a little dinosaur. I'll tell you what. I am tired of believing in people that don't know what they're talking about. How about you? Make sure you vote on Tuesday speaking of that subject. Let's move on. You see, Noah got on the ark and he was saved from the destruction of the then known world. That's why the dinosaurs don't exist. They made up this thing about an asteroid hitting the earth and killing all the dinosaurs. How about Noah's flood? Answers all the questions. It tells us how the Himalayas got there and how the Andy Mountains. It tells us all about the tides and everything that is in our earth today. We can trace back to the effects of Noah's flood. God saved eight people who put their faith in God. Noah built a boat. They got into it. And they were saved. That is an illustration of salvation. Jesus did the work. You believe in him. You'll be saved. Amen. Baptism is another figure or picture. In just a few moments, we're going to have two people get into the water. Amen. You stand in the water... And you profess your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Then you go back, picturing the death of Jesus. Under, picturing the burial of Jesus. Out of the water, picturing the resurrection of Jesus. Now, aren't you glad we don't take three days to get it done? Amen. Because all it is is a picture. It's a representation of the work that Jesus did at the time of your salvation. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and let's just look at the baptism of Jesus. And if you've been baptized or through our discipleship or both, uh, you've heard this before and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. 
Uh, I've been through this passage so many times, I've memorized it, but I still like to take time and read carefully God's Word and see the living illustration that is here in the things that God has for us. I want to quote you John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was... Does anybody know the rest of that verse? John. John the Presbyterian, right? I'm sorry. No, he was John the Baptist. Somebody said, do you think there were Baptist churches with John? No, that name began to be applied to us as a people in the late 1500s. But it is interesting that they call him John the Baptist. And it is interesting that they have called our people who believe the Bible and the Bible alone Baptists because the one issue that separated us from other religions was the issue of baptism. You see, baptism does not save you as most churches teach. It's a figure of what salvation really is. And so let's go here to Matthew chapter 3 and we're going to find John introduced in verses 1 through 3 and verse 13 is one of those verses that if you're not careful it's just what we would call a boring verse in the Bible and if you skip over it you're going to miss some very important things. It says verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. You say, okay, Jesus walked from, from Galilee to Jordan. He found John and he wanted to be baptized. Let me ask you a question. When someone of greater importance wants to meet someone of lesser authority and importance, what is standard operating procedure? What happens? If your boss says, I want to meet with you, very simple, they're not that high up on the authority level, but it's your boss, what do you do? Don't you go to where your boss is? Would you say, hey, listen, I know you're the boss, and I know you should set the place, but I'm kind of busy right now. Uh, I'll see you after work. Why don't you stop by the house? How many of you have a job? Wouldn't the boss consider that a slight? So, wait a minute, I get to pick where the meeting is. I'm the one that's supposed to be in charge here. Uh, how about you come to my office right away so I can give you your severance package, you know? Uh, that's normally the way things met. If the President of the United States says, I want to meet with you, let me tell you how, how it happens. You have to fill out a bunch of paperwork, get your fingerprints taken and send it all through the FBI and get investigated. And then at the appointed time, you will show up where the president says he wants to meet you. And uh, let me tell you something, gentlemen. By the way, you better have one of these on, or you're not going to see the president, more than likely. It's interesting. There's a protocol. And you have to follow that protocol or you don't get to see the president. 
Now, can I ask you a question? Who's more important, Jesus or John the Baptist? How many think Jesus is more important? You answered right. So why does Jesus go to John instead of calling John to him? You see something that we miss if we don't read carefully the Word of God? You see, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John chapter 1, verse 6. In a few moments, Jesus is going to meet John, and John's going to forbid him. He's going to forbid him, it says, but John forbade him, saying, I need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? He said, Jesus, wait a minute. I want you to baptize me. Why do you want me to baptize you? How many remember what Jesus' answer was? Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. You know what baptism is? It's your first step of obedience. Amen? You know what baptism is? It's a public picture of your submission to the authority of this book. Because that's how we find out how baptism comes. And the church. Because that's where you get baptized. Amen? Now that's not positive preaching. Because you know why? There are hundreds of different churches out there and they all baptize. And we say, now wait a minute. Where's the authority? Right here, isn't it? Isn't this our authority? The Word of God is our authority, and this Word tells us that John was sent from God to baptize, and Jesus went to him and submitted to the authority of John and had John baptize him because this book said so. At the end of this book, Jesus commissions the first church in Jerusalem to baptize. Now, just being as simple and as biblical as we can be, you've got to have two things to be baptized in authority. You have to have the Bible. You have to have a church. But that church has to believe the Bible. Now, what happens if that church doesn't believe the Bible? No authority. No baptism. Are we still together here? You see, just because somebody calls it baptism doesn't mean it's baptism. Jesus was God. He could have baptized himself, could he not? Hello? He could have. He could have had an angel come down and do it. He could have done a lot of things. But what he did was he went to a a man named John, because God sent him. And in John chapter 1, verse 31, I want us to go there and just read that verse together very quickly. John chapter 1. This is John the Baptist speaking on this very subject. He says, And I knew him not, 
but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. John said, I didn't know who the Messiah was, but I came baptizing with water to make him manifest or to make plain who the Messiah is. And he'll go on there and give the the record, and we're going to pick that up in just a few minutes. But the first thing I want us to see about baptism, as it is practiced in the Bible, is there has to be the Bible, the scriptural authority. The church didn't start until Matthew 16. So it was the man sent from God whose name was John. The second thing we see about baptism is there has to be somebody getting baptized. Now, I'm not trying to be smart here, but if you pick up almost any theology book, any Bible dictionary, and look up baptism, they will tell you that baptism is a continuance of the Jewish cleansing rituals. I want to tell you something that's a lie. That is just something that man has made up to to connect himself with things that don't need to be connected and shouldn't be connected because they're simply not true. The Jewish cleansing rituals went on this site. You would go, you would receive instruction from the Pharisees and the scribes, and then they would take you down to the river, and you would get in the river, and you would baptize or wash yourself according to their instructions. And they had hundreds of little regulations. In fact, you had to be a Pharisee to know them all. I mean, it was impossible. You're supposed to wash this part with this hand and with this kind of cloth in this direction. And and these were the Jewish cleansing rituals. Let me tell you, baptism has nothing to do with that. Because this was something that was done by someone else to you. The Pharisees and the scribes and in the Jewish tradition, the person getting washed was never touched by another person. They washed themselves. So don't believe everything you hear about baptism. We have to have a proper candidate who was going to be baptized by the proper authority. Jesus said in order to fulfill all righteousness, if you're going to be totally obedient to God, you've got to be baptized. Well then, Pastor, why don't we baptize him as early as we can? Well, uh, let's go back to the picture. What does baptism picture? What is it a figure of? Salvation. If you don't have the reality, is the picture worth anything? No. You know what a lot of people do? They put somebody's picture up on the wall in their room. And they say, I love him or her. They're my idol. I I watched every movie that they made. I know every line that they said in their movie. You ever met anybody like that? Now, if you were like that, don't admit it here, all right, please? But just because you carry some movie star's picture around in your wallet... Does that mean you have a relationship with that person? Hello? No. 
And that's what happens when we get baptized without the reality. It's just a picture that means nothing. No matter how much affection you pour out on that picture, it's <laughs> a silly endeavor, is it not? Get the reality first. That's what makes you a proper candidate for baptism. Amen? Now, people have argued for centuries on the mode of baptism. Do we have any... Uh, we have at least one, I know, person of Greek descent. The word baptize means immerse. That's why in the Orthodox Church, they take little babies and they hold their nose and they put them all the way under because they can't get away from the meaning of that word. You say, well, where did all this sprinkling come from? Well, um, I can't give you the actual canon uh, number and date in the Pope who made the edict, but the reasoning was basically this. The land of Palestine is a temperate climate that's warm all the year around. Europe is cold. If, if, if we get baptized in the winter, we'll die. Do you know that in medieval Europe, they believed that if you took a bath between September and May, that you would die? That, that, look it up in the history books. That's pretty sick. But not willing to break the cultural ideals of the day, they said all we really need to do is sprinkle a little water and it symbolizes the symbol, right? I'll tell you what, that doesn't picture anything now, does it? And the Bible just simply says, verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Now, we can do the same thing in our little baptistry that we put in on the platform here. In fact, if you don't walk up straightway out of the water, you're going to be in trouble because there's only one set of steps going in and out. Uh, and what it simply means is to walk in a straight path up out of the water. And that's why the people that fabricated the baptistry built it for us, built a set of steps that go right down in, and, and we built a set of steps to get up there. Real complicated stuff, but that's what straight way up out of the water means. It means just to walk in a straight path. Not complicated. And when Jesus was baptized, God did a few things. Let's read the rest of verse 6, 16 of Matthew chapter 3. It says, And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God showed himself to fulfill the words that John, we read just a few moments ago in John chapter 1, John the Baptist was saying to make him manifest, God displayed himself for the world that was there to see as they heard God the Father speak from heaven, saw Jesus Christ walk up out of the water and actually saw the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove and lighting upon him. 
There are very, very few places in the Bible where God made himself manifest, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost all at one time. Shouldn't that remind us that this thing called baptism is just important? It's important to do it God's way. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with your obedience. It has everything to do with your identification. It has everything to do with your public testimony. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 2. And we just, I just want to look at a couple of verses very quickly about how baptism was practiced. Let's see if what was practiced in the book of Acts matches up with the book of Matthew. This is one way we can know that we understand our Bible correctly is when we read something in one part, we can go to another part of the Bible and find an agreement with what is going on. And in verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, it says they gladly received the word. How many of you here today are saved? Do you remember the time you gladly received God's word and asked Jesus Christ to save you? That makes you a proper candidate. See, now you have the reality. Now it's time to get the picture, the public testimony that goes with the reality of your salvation. Amen? It says we're baptized. Doesn't waste any time. I love the succinctness of the Bible. And then comes the next one, and this is where it gets a little scary sometimes. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Added unto whom? Uh, it's called church. Uh, didn't, didn't we say you had to have two things in order to get baptized? You had to have the authority of the Scripture and a church that believed the Bible. Does that work in Acts chapter 2 verse 41? Uh, you better believe it does. It was there. They were added unto them, the church. Somebody said, well, the church started on the day of Pentecost. Uh, no, it didn't. It started with Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 16. He said, I will build my church. And by the way, that's his job, not yours, not mine. We better let Jesus do the work of building his church if it's going to be his church. Amen? But when you gladly receive his word... Would you not be willing to be publicly identified with him to go through the figure of the reality of his salvation? Amen? And so we see the candidate had to be saved first. They gladly received the word. They were baptized. The Bible does not say a lot about it because uh, that they were immersed in deep water or all of these things. By the way, it doesn't have to be that deep to get somebody immersed. Amen? Uh, we used a horse trough for about 12, 14 years. It works. Uh, it doesn't have to be that deep. It's just got to be deep enough to get you all the way under. And you fulfill the picture of the Bible. Amen? 
And so, we see that what happened in Acts chapter 2 is what happened in Matthew chapter 3. Now, I will... Well, well, we'll see if we can get to this in a minute. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Now, this is a story that lots of people like to go to, and if you got one of them newfangled Bibles, they want to change this passage so much. Oh, they want to change this passage. You see, verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Does that sound like the word of God? It most certainly does. And they went on, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, was baptism in the book of Isaiah? That's where they were studying. No, baptism is a New Testament thing now, isn't it? It's something brand new. It wasn't in the Old Testament law. So where did this Ethiopian eunuch hear about baptism? Well, obviously, Philip taught him the whole thing. He said, if you're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized and identify with him publicly and show him that what has happened on the inside, you're willing to go through the picture on the outside. Amen? Now, this is a verse they want to change. Verse 37, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down, both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I, I think that fits pretty good. I don't see any contradiction. You say, where's the church? Philip was a preacher of the church in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know where the eunuch actually went other than he went back to Ethiopia, but he came to Jerusalem to worship. On his return trip to Jerusalem, which apparently we can take was his habit, where do you think he went to worship the next time he was in Jerusalem? You think he found the apostles and worshiped with them? Is that reading into Scripture? Because he was publicly identified with Jesus Christ. He was baptized in Jesus' name. When he came back to Jerusalem, would he not find those same people and worship with them? I, I believe that he would. I believe that it fits. That it's the same picture. You see... Let's go to Acts chapter 19, and this is really a, con a passage that confuses a lot of people. And I hope we can make it simple this morning. Verse 1, Acts 19, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? They said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him 
which should come after him, that is, on Je- that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, people want to read all kinds of things into this passage. But very simply, Paul met a group of people who called themselves Christians or believers in the city of Ephesus. And when he met them, he immediately recognized there was something missing in their quote-unquote Christianity or discipleship. And so he asked them a question, have you received the Holy Ghost? Now let me ask you, when do you receive the Holy Ghost? the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have time to go through all the passages and give you the basis for that, but that's what the Bible teaches. You receive the Holy Ghost the moment you believe on Jesus Christ. He's looking at these men and he asks them this question because he sees that they call themselves by the name, but they don't have any evidence that the Holy Ghost is living in them. And they said, we never heard of the Holy Ghost said, we never heard of such a thing. He says, well, then why do you call yourselves Christians if you don't know who the Holy Ghost is? What were you baptized unto? What kind of baptism did you get? He said, well, the guy baptized us in John's baptism. He said, well, John baptized people saying you have to believe in him that should come. The only problem is, This story was about 30 years after Jesus had resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. It was past tense, and they were still looking forward. He says, well, wait a minute. You don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior because you never believed on him. Well, tell us more. And Paul did, and they believed. And then they were baptized. Then they had the reality. Amen? Don't let anybody else read something else into that. That's all it's saying. Now, to confuse things just a little more, who baptized Peter, James, John, all the apostles? Did Jesus baptize them? No, John the Baptist did. Did they all get rebaptized? No. Because they got baptized before. All they needed to do was put their faith in Jesus Christ, which they did. These people got baptized after, and so they had no object to their faith. Therefore, their baptism wasn't baptism because they didn't have the reality of faith in Jesus Christ. Now you've just understood something that you can't find an answer to in any theology book that's out there. But do you see how simple that can be if we'll just let the Bible teach us what the Bible says? You have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Then you get baptized in water according to the Bible under the authority of a church that believes in the Bible. If you get baptized in a church that doesn't believe the Bible, it's not Bible baptism. can't be. If you get baptized by your Aunt Gertrude, 
who believes in the Bible very sincerely, that's not baptism because Aunt Gertrude isn't a church. It's just that simple, but I can't tell you how many people over the years have gotten angry and walked out of this church never to return because of these few simple doctrines. We're not going to change God's Word to accommodate people because we want people to be members of this church who want to accommodate or surrender themselves to God's Word. And you know what? Without exception, I've talked to many people and they said, well, Pastor, I was baptized in such and such a church. And I said, is, is that really what you believe or do you believe what our church teaches? And I said, well, I don't... Sometimes people don't even know what the church they were baptized teaches. I said, do you know that, that you know, the, the Nazarene church will pick on them because I don't think we have anybody here from the Nazarenes believe you can lose your salvation? Is that what you believe? Well, if it isn't what you believe, then you ought to turn your back on that Nazarene baptism and embrace a Bible baptism. Is that so radical? Didn't used to be. It's just Bible. Amen? You see, when those men were baptized, they turned their back on the temple worship and the Jewish rituals and embrace Jesus as their Savior. There was a separation. And there ought to be a separation in the heart and life of every believer from all things that do not agree with this book called the Bible. That's why I don't encourage you to turn on TBN. Don't listen to Benny Hinn. He's never preached a good Bible verse in his entire life. Don't listen to these people that talk to you about getting rich. That's not in the Bible. I'm going to walk on streets that are made out of gold in the New Jerusalem. What in the world do I want with a few physical possessions? God doesn't care about those things. He paves the streets with it. Let me tell you something. I want the truth that this book has to offer. And in just the next few seconds, I want to give you my testimony. I was baptized when I was eight years old. I was saved when I was 11. Does anybody see a problem with that? Well, I went to the people that were at the church I grew up in. And at that time, oh, you've been saved. Don't worry about it. You just rededicated your life. Well, now... I'm a sophomore in Bible college. I'm studying to prepare to teach people about baptism. And I began to study and I talked to my pastor and he said, have you ever been baptized? And I said, well, now that you mention it, preacher, I'm not quite sure that thing worked out the way the Bible said. In fact, I knew it wasn't. I just literally had put it out of my mind because everybody said, forget about it. Well, God was working in my life. He said, are you going to be my kind of preacher or your kind of preacher? So I lost my membership at the church because I didn't have Bible baptism. 
Next Sunday, I got baptized as a sophomore in Bible college at Grace Bible Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. You know what? I had already been saved for a long time at that point. But I was obedient on that day because I want to identify with Jesus, his person, his word, and his church. That's what baptism is. You've got to get saved. All you have to do to be saved is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I feel like I have to say this every time. And nothing else. You have to turn your back on religion in order to believe on Jesus Christ. You have to turn your back on good works. You have to turn your back on all of the things that the world has to offer and embrace only Christ. He'll save you. Then you can be baptized and publicly identify with Jesus Christ. Now please be careful. If you go home and try to Google this thing on the internet, you're going to find some really interesting stuff about baptism, let me tell you. There's some people that teach that if you don't get baptized in water by a Baptist preacher on earth, you're going to be a second-class Christian in heaven. And I, Let me tell you something. If you're truly saved, you ought to be truly baptized. But I'm going to let God take care of what happens to all the rest of those people when, he, when they get to heaven because that's not my job. Amen? My job is to tell the people who are here who can hear and who can do something about it that you need to be scripturally saved and scripturally baptized and scripturally serve the Lord Jesus Christ in a church that believes the Bible. And in case you're looking for one, I have one I recommend. In fact, you're in it. Amen? Can we smile just a little bit this morning? I know that wasn't a real good joke, but I mean, it's, it's okay to smile on Sunday morning. This is simple Bible doctrine. And yet, you're not going to get it on any Christian radio station. You're not going to get it in... Religion, I would have to turn my back on that religion and find a church that believes only the Bible. And I know some preachers that have done that. In the ministry years, ordained in such and such a church, in such and such a place. I've known several that have said, Well, I'm already a pastor. I already know my Bible. The only thing I'm missing is baptism. And so they went and found a buddy and said, You baptize me and I'll baptize you. And why can't you just go down the street and find a church that already believes right and become a part of it? Do we have to make things so complicated? Just do it the Bible way. It's not that tough. And you'll always be glad you just obeyed the Word of God. That's how you get saved. That's how you ought to be baptized. By the way, that's how you ought to live when you go to work tomorrow morning. Amen? Let's pray.